What an awesome God we serve. Let there be light. And there was light. And then he took a lump of clay, breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. Man came to be a living soul. He delivered Noah from the waters, raised up Abraham to be the father of the faithful, and delivered a law through Moses. What an awesome God he is. Unimaginable. But then he allowed sinners to kill his son. That's utterly amazing. I tried to plow through that when I was a teenager. The God who could do anything watched his son die a cruel death. I don't like to bring up the name, but I will to make a point. Adolf Hitler said of Jesus, I greatly admire the man who cleansed the temple. I despise the man who was so weak that he went to the cross. How far off base can you get? Well, what happened at Skull Place? Oh, you probably call it Golgotha. That's all right. You speak Aramaic or Calvary. Speak Latin. I speak English. What happened at Skull Place? Not an accident? Not a coincidence? No one forced the hand of God. He did it willingly. Purposefully. Where are you, Adam? God was not appealing to the innocent man he had just seen yesterday, but rather pricking the conscience of a man who had fallen into the grips of Satan. And he already knew where he was. He cursed the ground that he had made, that Adam had to care for. And he cursed the serpent. You're cursed more than all the cattle of the field, he says, more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go. You shall eat dust all the days of your life. I will put enmity between thee and the woman, between thy seed and her seed, it shall bruise thy head, thou shalt bruise his heel. Here's what we have to see. Satan's head had to be properly bruised. It had to be done right. God's perfect plan that he was putting into motion had to be done exactly right. Years later, Jesus said, The Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. In Matthew chapter 16, we see Jesus and his twelve going to Caesarea Philippi. And in that city, he says, Whom do men say the Son of Man is? And they said, Some of the prophets. Jeremiah, one of the prophets. But whom do you say that I am? And Peter said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona. Flesh and blood hath not revealed unto thee, but thy Father which is in heaven. I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock 
I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give to thee the keys of the kingdom. Whatsoever thou hast bound on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Now here's something really strange. The next verse is really strange. Most of us have read the Bible since we were children, and, and we forget strange things in the Bible because they seem commonplace to us. Listen to it carefully. Then he commanded his disciples that they should tell no man that he is the Christ. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things from the elder chief priests and scribes, and be killed and be raised on the third day. But don't tell anybody about it. That's the strange thing. Master, I don't understand. <clears throat> Why don't you want the whole world to know? Because it won't work. It will not work for the whole world to know. When Jesus taught in parables, he taught in such a way that he could not be understood. I thought he taught parables to make them simple. No, he taught parables to make them mystical. So his audience did not see the depths of his teaching. They would later, but not then. The sacrifice of Christ had to be, and it had to be done right. In John 12, verse 32, Jesus said, And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. This he said, signifying what kind of death he should die. In just about any audience, the teacher can say, what does it mean when Jesus said, if I be lifted up from the earth, I'll draw a man unto me? It means he's going to be raised from the dead. No. It does not mean that. It means that he'll be raised on the cross. Jesus said that signifying by what death he should die. A stoning was not a lifting up. A beheading was not a lifting up. A spear through the heart was not a lifting up. Nails through the hands and feet. That was a lifting up. If I be lifted up from the earth, I'll draw all men unto me. This he said, signifying what kind of death he should die. The Jews believed that any man who claimed to be God should be killed. The Romans didn't care. But Pilate told them, you take him and you judge him according to your law. Therefore the Jews said, it's not lawful for us to put anyone to death. Well, they did put men to death but not like this. That the saying of Jesus might be fulfilled when he spoke, signifying by what death he should die. The Jews said, Pilate, it is not lawful for us to crucify a man. We cannot crucify a man, and they couldn't. God forbade that. 
they had a problem if the Romans wouldn't do it. The Romans had to do it. Over in John chapter 11, we read of the resurrection of Lazarus. You know that event very well. Jesus is at the cemetery. He has been chewed out by Mary and Martha. He could have been there earlier. He could have presented Lazarus from dying by not even being there. But he didn't. He had a purpose in mind. You see, Jesus' death had to be done right. Because Satan's head had to be properly bruised. And it couldn't be with just any kind of death. Lazarus, come forth. And he walks out of the tomb. Ah, really, he doesn't walk out of the tomb. He kind of does this out of the tomb because he's bound. Loose him and let him go. And when that happened, people were amazed. Some of them rejoiced. Others of them went straight to the chief priests and the elders. They said, guess what just happened? They were just two miles from Jerusalem. They were Bethany, just around the Mount of Olives in Jerusalem. Guess what just happened? They told the story. What are we going to do? This man is really a miracle worker. He really works signs. He really is somebody special. He really does have the hand of God on him. If we let him alone, he's going to defeat us, and he's going to take our, our country. He will destroy this place and this nation. A profound passage, you probably already know, John 11, verse 49. One of them, Caiaphas, being a high priest that year, said to them, you know that nothing at all, nor do you consider that it's expedient for us that one man should die for the people, not the whole nation should perish. Well, makes sense. But verse 51. I'd been preaching a long time before I ever heard this. <clears throat> now this, he did not say by his own authority. High priest didn't even think about that. He just spoke it. Being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation. Not for that nation only, but also that he would gather together in one the children of God who were scattered abroad. <clears throat> From that day on, they plotted to put him to death. But what grabs me is the high priest did not say this by his own authority. He spoke a prophecy. I preached my first real sermon in 1963. You do the math. I have never prophesied. I have never prophesied. Everything I've gotten has been either from the Bible or from men who knew the Bible. My teacher. God has never directly told me anything. But he told his high priest something. The high priest got his information from God. 
it is better that one die for the nation than that the nation. One man can die for the nation. The Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. From that day on, they plotted to kill him. Well, isn't that what God wants? Isn't that what Jesus wants? Yes and yes. That's what has to be done. But look in the next verse, John eleven fifty four. Therefore Jesus no longer walked openly among the Jews, but he went from there into the country near the wilderness to a city called Ephraim, and there remained with his disciples. What's he doing? He is hiding. Why? To keep them from killing him. I'm all messed up here. If he didn't want them to kill him, why didn't he work some kind of miracle and reappear over in North America? Or work some kind of miracle and destroy them? Because he had to do his death right. Had to have a special kind of death. How did they want him to die? They didn't care. They didn't care how he died. He could have died by a spear, a sword, stone. Oh, I thought they demanded crucifixion. They did, but that was later. Right now, they just want him out of the way. They had reason to demand crucifixion. We'll talk about that later. John 12, six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany. He comes out of hiding. He comes into Bethany where everybody knows him. He's two miles out of Jerusalem where the great feast is going to be held. He is where Lazarus was raised from the dead. And then Matthew records that as he goes up to Jerusalem, he took 12 of his disciples along with him, and he said in verse 18, Matthew 20, Behold, we're going up to Jerusalem. And the Son of Man will be betrayed in, in, to, to the chief priests, to the scribes. They shall condemn him to death and deliver him to the Gentiles to mock and to scourge and to crucify. And on the third day he will rise again. Have the Jews said anything about crucifixion? No. Have the Romans said anything about crucifixion? No. Jesus brings it up. He says, they're going to mock me, they're going to whip me, and they're going to crucify me. <clears throat> Strange, isn't it? Is he going to put thoughts into their heads? No. <clears throat> but he's going to do something to make them think of it. Deuteronomy 21, if a man committed a crime, a sin deserving of death, and put to death, he could not be hanged by the Jews as a live man. But if he's a traitor, if he's done something really bad, they could kill him and then hang his dead body. That would not be for punishment, but it would be to advertise to all the people, this man is a terrible sinner. He has done something that violates our nation. And we want you to know that, but they had to take him down before Sunday. But the live man, no, couldn't be hanged by the Jews. Galatians 3, verse 13, 
Paul says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. Having become a curse for us, for it is written, curse is everyone who hangs on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that he might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. The curse of the law. The curse of the law is death. The curse of the law is a cutting off from God. The curse of the law is to be totally and forever separated from God. Jesus came to buy us back from that curse. How was he to do that? He would be a curse for us. A curse. For whom? A curse for everyone. Even the most terrible sinner that will come to him. A spear through the heart would cover some people. But there's some people that are so very sinful, so very wicked, and have committed the right kind of crime. It wouldn't cover them. Has to be the most terrible death. That would have been crucifixion. Jesus was bound and determined to die a death that would cover Adolf Hitler. Don't think Adolf Hitler received Christ. I don't mean that. But it would cover sins like Adolf Hitler. Cover the most sinful man in the world who would submit to him. And obey him. John 12, verse 12. They're coming out of Bethany. They're coming into Jerusalem. Next day, a great multitude that had come to the feast, when they heard that Jesus come to Jerusalem, took branches of palm trees, went out to meet him, and cried, Hosanna! Blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. These are God's people. They're welcoming the Messiah. When Jesus gets into Jerusalem, he does something really stupid from a political standpoint. Matthew 21, he went into the temple of God, drove out those who bought and sold in the temple, overturned the tables of money changers, seat of all the sold doves. He said, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer. You have made it a den of thieves. What's so bad about that? Nobody had the authority to do that. This is God's business. God could do it. But even the priest couldn't do it. Jesus, and bear with me a minute. Don't get up and walk out while I'm telling this. Jesus violated the rules of the temple and that made him worthy of crucifixion. It is now that the Jews are saying, we need to crucify him. He has committed an egregious sin. He has violated the house of God. But he had no authority to do that. <clears throat> well, of course, you and I know better. He was God. <laughs> he could do that. 
He did that. Did that knowing that their minds would be turned to fiction. Did Jesus want to be crucified? Had to be. He was a man. No, he didn't want to be crucified. He was God. Yes, he had to be crucified. Had to be crucified because of the likes of me, you, to deliver us. Paul says in our reading this morning, thank you, reader, you did a fine job. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. I'm not a lawyer. I don't claim to be. I know little about the law. But I wonder if Paul committed treason, treason against the kingdom of God. Treason was the most egregious sin. He was a child of God. He preached against the son of his God. He aggressively arrested Christians who were members of the kingdom. The same kingdom he was a member of, by the way. They were in maybe different stages of it, but they were citizens of the same kingdom. He gave his consent the execution of Christians. He did all he could against the kingdom of God. Not against the kingdom as he understood it. But the kingdom had passed away, had, had gone past what he understood it as. And Paul could say, I'm the chief of sinners. And Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. I wonder if Paul wasn't Adolf Hitler in a very different way if he was. That's for the lawyers in here to figure out. What guarantees our salvation? I never shall forget a dear lady in Augusta who would talk to me at worship sometime, call me on the phone and say, Brother Andrews, I, you know I'm a, I'm a Christian, and I know I'm a Christian, but sometimes I just don't feel like it. I, my background says I have to talk to a priest often, and uh, I know that you're a priest, and I know that I'm a priest. I understand all that, but I just got to talk to somebody. And I would talk with her, Talk about her salvation. As she questioned, I'd say, how were you saved? And she would tell me. I would say, that's what the Bible teaches. Why do you doubt? Sometimes we would pray on the telephone. But she had so much doubt. What guarantees our salvation? 1 Peter 3.21 says, the like figure Whereunto even baptism does also now save us. And that's not what guarantees it. Listen to the rest of it. Not the putting away of the filth of the flesh. The answer of a good conscience toward God. By the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The 
resurrection, but assures us of our salvation. Jesus could have died on the cross. Had there been no resurrection, it would not have been valid. You could be baptized 10,000 times. Had there not been a resurrection, it would not be valid. Jesus validated your salvation by his death. Someone says, I, I just don't quite understand this. Uh, I, uh, I know that, uh, that we have to have faith in Christ. I, I know that we have to repent of sins. I know we have to admit that Jesus Christ is God's son. I understand all of that. that. That puts us into a relationship with Christ. No, it doesn't either. The one thing that changes our relationship is baptism. That doesn't make sense. And I won't accept it. I've heard people say that. I've heard people say that. I don't know this to be true, but I have a feeling that God put baptism in the plan of salvation for a reason. Because it's not reason. We can't think through it. If he said, James, I want to save people by my son and by his influence, you tell them how to do it. I wouldn't even know about baptism. I wouldn't think about introducing it. I'd think about turning from sin. I'd think about believing in Christ. I'd think about putting my faith and trust in him. I would never think about baptism. Because I'm a man. God gave me a test. He said, I'm going to move people from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of my dear son when they're baptized. Wow. When Saul of Tarsus was told to arise and be baptized, we don't have a word that he said. He arose and was baptized. When the man from Ethiopia heard about Jesus, he said, see, here's water. What hinders me to be baptized? <clears throat> we don't have Philip's sermon. But I've never believed that Philip told him to be baptized. I think he told him about baptism. Because he preached Jesus. You can't preach Jesus without preaching his plan of salvation. And he told him about baptism. And he said, wait a minute, wait a minute. Wait, we're coming up on some water here. I want to be baptized. He commanded the chariots to stand still. They both went down into the water, both Philip and the eunuch. He baptized them when they were come up out of the water. The Spirit of the Lord called away Philip that the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. It's that simple. It's just that meaningful. You know why it is? Because God did it right. He took his time. Jesus said, no, you're not going to cut my head off. You're not going to stone me. You're not going to put a spear through my heart. You're going to crucify me. And I'm going to do something so you'll have to crucify me. Because I will become a curse of God. To save you. 
Wow. You're all the sons of God by faith in Christ Jesus because as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. I bought a book years ago. It's a book on hermeneutics. You know what that is here. If I said that in another place, some people think I was cussing. The interpretation of Scripture. It was written by a scholarly, scholarly man. And he was given illustrations. And he went into Acts chapter 8. Talked about the beginning of it where Philip is preaching. And then he got over to verse 26 and observed the Passover. And went right over to Acts chapter 9. You know why he did that? Because if you lead out the meaning of Acts 8, 26 and following, you cannot ignore the fact that God demands baptism. That is his plan. He did it right. He revealed his plan told us how to be saved. Wouldn't it be nice if some Roman author had come along, <clears throat> you know, and just written a, a history of the early church, started at the cross and just written what occurred? I'd like to have that, wouldn't you? Well, we have the first 35 years by a man inspired of God. His name was Luke, and he wrote the book of Acts. Talks about men and women being saved. Tells us how. So plain that even elementary students can't overlook it. The Pentecostians, the eunuch, Saul of Tarsus, Cornelius, Lydia, Jailer, 12 men at Ephesus. Have I skipped some? Probably. The point is, God did it right. Not only did he do it right, he left us the right, the right historical evidence that he did it right. He is the high priest who placed hands on his son, probably in the Garden of Eden, and who laid the sins of humanity on him. They were laid on the bull and the goat in the Old Testament and then sent him away. No arguing, Caiaphas house. And admission, finally, yes, I'm, I'm the Christ. What more do we need? Take him away. They take him over to Pilate, get Pilate out of bed, probably, and said, this man claims to be the Christ. No, they don't say that. Because Pilate didn't care. This man claims to be king. He's going to replace Caesar. Uh-oh. This is a Roman crime, a crime of insurrection. Pilate didn't believe that. But they made it so hard on him. You're no friend of the king. You're no friend of Caesar if you let him go. Wash his hands of that matter. Said, take him away. 
I thank God for that. You're sitting here because God did it right. You're singing praises to God because he did it right. You have real hope of eternal life because God did it right. Thank you. God bless you. You're subject to heaven's invitation as one outside of Christ. He did it right for you. Very simple for you. You have faith and you can repent of sins. This audience wants to hear you say, I believe Jesus Christ is God's son, and you'll be baptized into Christ. If you are a member of the church, but you no longer walk with God, come back and tell this church, and I'll guarantee you, the knees of clay will go to the ground on your behalf. As our spirits rise into the most holy place to beg God for your salvation. Please come as we stand and sing. Days are filled with sorrow and care, hearts are lonely and drear, burdens are lifted at Calvary, Jesus is very near. Burdens are lifted at Calvary, Calvary, Calvary. Burdens are lifted at Calvary, Jesus is very near. Troubled soul, the Savior can see every heartache and tear. Burdens are lifted at Calvary, Jesus is very near. Burdens are lifted at Calvary, Calvary, Calvary. Burdens are lifted at Calvary, Jesus is very Thank you very much, Brother Andrews. We certainly appreciate your lesson this morning. If we would, let's all turn to number 559. Number 559. We'll sing the first and last verse. We want to thank everyone for being here this morning, especially those of us, uh, those that are visiting. You are our honored guest. Please stick around a few minutes so we can get to know you better. Remind everyone about services this evening. The services will be at 6, 5. We have the young men's training and the 530, the memory work. Number 559. After that, we'll be led in our closing prayer. What a song of delight in that city so bright will be wafted neath heaven's fair dome. How the ransom will praise that we songs in his praise when all of God's singers get home. When all of God's singers get home, whenever horror will come, there'll be no place like home. When all of God's singers get home, having overcome sin, hallelujah, amen. 
will be heard in that land or the form. Every heart will be light and each face will be bright when all of God's singers get home. When all of God's singers get home, whenever a sorrow will come, there'll be no place 